Welcome to episode 16 of Cutting Through the Noise. I'm Hayley Mears, and today I'm going to be joined by Josie Bryce-Smith, the founder and CEO of O&M. The conversation that we're going to have today is going to be based around Josie's approach to health, wellness, and how business and industry success is intrinsically linked to your own self-care and personal development. She's got lots of amazing tips to share, so you may want to come back and listen to this one again. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Josie. Thank you for having me, Hayley. I'm delighted (laughs) to be here. So I'd love it if you could just let all of the listeners know a little bit about yourself, your career path, and a little bit about O&M and I guess your your philosophy in business. Um, Yeah, so I started my uh, career in hairdressing in 2000 when I came to Australia for a holiday. I Previously had a background in sales and marketing in the UK and um, my then boyfriend who became my husband and is now my ex-husband, Alan, um, opened a hair salon in Paddington and um, he and Wayne, who still works at O&M, who was our colorist, um, thought that, you know, they were going to open the doors and people were going to rush in. And so after a few months, I said to them, do you want me to come and do something? And they said, yes. So I came and I started to work on the reception and I started to do um, marketing there. Um, and so, yeah, that was how I first got into the industry. And I think for me, I just loved the people. Like it, I was like, oh, wow, the clients and the hairdressers and just the vibe and the energy of the salon was so amazing. And just kind of the life transformations that, Um, hairdressers give people you know how you feel about your hair is so integral to how you feel about yourself and I just think it's such a undervalued industry and um, I I actually thought wow hairdressers are like the unpaid therapists of society they're the ones that you know people tell when they're having an affair or they're got cancer you know they've lost their job I mean the amount of people that we did their hair for free for, for various reasons because, you know, we just had so much empathy for people. And then, you know, I just really felt that hairdressers needed to have more empathy for themselves. And I think that that's one of still the kind of my driving forces is that, you know, it's them knowing their own value from how they charge perspective. And then I think for me, the products was a big one, just the smell and fumes of um, the hair color back in then in 2000 there were perms like my god my eyes were like itching and Alan had very bad contact dermatitis and you know we had apprentices whose hands were like bleeding from just the shampooing and and just being in water the whole time and I actually thought wow people don't know what they're breathing in so hairdressers are breathing this in for eight hours a day and then they're putting it on people's heads and the forehead and the scalp is 60% more absorbent than the legs and the arms. So what you put on here is is going in and it's going through your liver. And so that was what made um, us start with ammonia free color. And, and so that, yeah, that was, that was the beginning. So I think 
health is you know very high up on our values and 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 that was really what drove it um i suppose our mission is the same today as it was then which um was has, was a very long journey for me has been this mission um but to provide um the highest performing professional hair products um and hair color for hairdressers with the cleanest formulas so we want to maintain the professional level but we want the formulas to be clean and we want people to trust that we are thinking hard about you know their health hair uh, all of it so yeah so that in a nutshell is kind of what got me started it's, that's a great story and uh, year 2000 was the year that I started my apprenticeship so that's a year where I was really exposed to the industry and it was such a different time like you said um, you know the way that we were working and I guess formulas coloration just like chemical treatments like remember the days of um, a lot of the straightening services that we used to do I feel like I, I couldn't imagine inhaling something that toxic now um, so yeah it, it, the industry has come a really, really long way since then. How did you go about, you know, finding the science behind how to implement a clean product? Like without having that kind of chemist background, I can't, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, so um, I found an ammonia-free hair colour in a small manufacturer in Ireland was where I first started. And, um, and we we work we basically work with the factories but i think the difference between us and other companies is that you know we we were so passionate about you know having this low chemical like i would go to the factories and go can you try this combination can you try that and they would go no you can't use it like that and i would go can you just try it you know i think as well with the we had the first sulfate and paraben free shampoo in australia in about 2005 and I mixed that up in the kitchen I just went online and googled recipes and started making them there so you're right I'm not a chemist and um but I basically you know I do a lot of research I bought all of the available research particularly into hair color and toxicity and chemicals and and you know just worked out what were the different raw materials. We deal directly with a lot of suppliers about, you know, what raw materials are they getting. And um, I think also we get a lot of information from consumers and from hairdressers. So if you imagine that we kept um, O&M to ourselves for the first six years. So, you know, we we the business built very quickly because we realized that there was a real demand for, you know, low chemical, there were lots of pregnant women, people with scalp sensitivities, just people that generally wanted less chemicals. And we went from, you know, two people to 14 within 12 months. We turned over a million dollars in our first year, which back then in 2000 was big for a hair salon. And um, so we kept the color to ourselves and eventually other salons would start calling us and saying, you know, where can we get it? And that's when we made the shampoos and conditioners. We just basically brought a container load of the color over, put it in our garage and started selling them. I was still on the reception. Uh, we were packing it in the back room. Um, I wasn't even, I forgot to invoice people. We were just sending the product out, like so many things. But 
we started to get all these calls um because I did all this marketing around the world's first ammonia free hair color like shouty English girl in Australia <laughs> and um I started to get people contacting me saying is it PPD free and I started to research PPD and I don't know if you know much about PPD but it's it's a dark hair dye so it's black hair color basically so it's in its highest concentration in black and it's not really in blonde at all but the concentration like in a 60 would be less than in a black 10 um but basically people have um anaphylactic reactions to it like face swelling up and and so i think that was the biggest kind of chemistry challenge because i decided to have the world's first ppd free color and <clears throat> I spent probably the best part of eight years <clears throat> trying to do that whilst holding on to the performance. Sorry, excuse me. No, you're right. Uh, whilst holding on to the performance. And if you imagine you take a black hair dye out color, but you want gray covered, what's going to happen? It's not going to cover. So I went through literally six, eight years of that. So that was when I really started to know about chemistry. Because when you come up with that many problems and that many no's, you you learn pretty fast. And so I'm not a chemist, but I know how hair color manufacturing works. I know about the chemicals. I know what the substitutes are. And um, and so we were able to really push the factories on that. Amazing. One of the reasons I wanted to reach out and chat to you today was, you know, doing that thing that we all do, scrolling on Instagram and I saw, I think it was Cameron Pine from InStyle had this amazing reel about this trip that he went on and it was an O&M event and it was all based around wellness. And just from seeing a couple of clips, I was like, I need to know more about this brand. I want to know what this retreat was like, how it all came about. And so I'd love it if you could talk us through that recent retreat. Yeah, so I actually... um for many years have wanted to have the first alcohol and drug-free hairdressing event. <laughs> I'm not saying everyone does drugs with a lot of alcohol and, and partying in hairdressing. And I, I had actually arranged it uh, four years ago before COVID. I'd booked out a whole retreat. And um, um, my thoughts around it was that, you know, I believe that wellness and success are so interlinked and that people that look after themselves, um, you know, there's a massive correlation between that and being successful. And I thought, you know, hairdressers would not know themselves without, um, you know, having to answer to clients, you know, having children, you know, looking after a business. They wouldn't know themselves with a four day timeout with no social media, no alcohol, eating great food chatting with like-minded people and learning new skills so that was what we did um it was not a an event where we talked about product or we launched a new product it was just 55 like-minded people bonding getting to know each other whilst doing uh yoga zip lining um going in the sauna like there were so many activities. We did lots of things around mental health. So tapping, uh, morning routines, um, you know, anxiety, like body work. And 
you could do everything or you could do nothing. And there was no pressure on everyone, anyone. And it was just, it was actually quite unbelievable to see what happened, like the connections that were made, the lifelong friendships that were made and the, the growth that people were having, you know, there was a beautiful spa there as well. So people were having treatments and they, they, you know, a lot of the treatments um, are kind of, you know, deeper, uh, uh, they, they're designed to help you move energy and to help you kind of grow. And so people coming out crying, laughing, hugging other people, having revelations. Yeah. So it was, it was really good. I think we will definitely be doing it again. We're planning our next one at the moment. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I think, and I've spoken to a couple of people who said to me, they haven't drank any alcohol since the retreat, which was in April. And they've just carried on. So, and and I think it's also for a lot of hairdressers, it's a tax deductible holiday. Yeah, you know, and we all love a tax deduction, and uh, it's a legitimate mental health tax deductible holiday. You know, in your industry. So, yeah, it was awesome. So, how did it? How did the idea and the concept come about? Was that based on your own personal practice of you know health and wellness? Or was it more an observation of this is what the industry really needs because perhaps, you know, we've created some really unhealthy habits when we get together as an industry? Yeah, so I think it was both. I think it's, it is how I live. I go to a retreat at least once a year and I've been doing it for 15 years. Um, and I think it was an observation of you know, the industry, yes. And also kind of a, of individuals that, you know, working so hard in their businesses and perhaps are, are getting stuck in the day-to-day. And I believe that a lot of the answers come when you give yourself space, room to breathe. So even in you take it on a more micro level, it is even just, you know, taking some time out, going for a walk around the block when you're feeling overloaded, going to a cafe and having a coffee sitting with yourself with no no phone nothing you know it's those times so that was that was the basis it's also very aligned to the values of O&M so the values behind O&M are clean kind and original and um you know so clean is obviously in our formulations but it's also I like transparency um you know, I like to have direct conversations with people. I'm the person that will always bring the elephant out on the table. Um, I don't, you know, I'm I'm happy to have that conversation and I want people to feel heard and valued. And and so I suppose the kind value feeds into um the wellness retreat just to be kind to yourself. And and I I think that growth is such a huge part of life. I see um the world is my classroom and I'm just learning I see every interaction as learning and and I on that retreat we learned so much and there will be things that people will take away that will change their life forever and their view on themselves so I think there was a lot of self-worth built in that retreat and and um that you know is wonderful and yeah so it's it's my observations, but it also very much aligns with the values of O&M. What was it like having like an evening 
you know, dinner situation where no one was drinking, did it, did it feel almost like everyone still got that amazing energetic buzz that you get from being around people, but like just with far more authenticity? Yeah. Oh yeah. The dinners, all of the meals were really good fun. Yeah. People were laughing, connecting. Of course there was a lot of sharing because people were doing things that were outside of their comfort zone. And then, you know, there was uh, people were doing different things as well because some of the, you know, there's different things going on at different times. So then people were sharing and saying, Oh, you should try that. I did this. It was really good. Oh, I love this therapist. Oh, this, this class was amazing you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, there was definitely no shortage of energy. If anything, people were like, oh my God, I feel so good this morning. You know, we were, we were getting, um, and again, everything's optional, but the wake up is 6am. Um, and so first of all, uh, a wake up, you go for a, a walk and it's like 30 minutes, but it's just that being in nature, you know, kind of rambling. It's not super hard. Um, and then, um, you know, there's like Tai Chi, um, or other kind of mindfulness exercises and then breakfast is at seven. And I was like, wow, I haven't eaten breakfast at seven in a long time, but you know, everyone was eating and, you know, pumped for the day and just, yeah, it was really, I can't even explain it. It was like, I think that they were waiting for us to start to try and sell something, you know, because, as well and and also because there was no social media so and and from a company perspective it's kind of quite a big risk in a way because you do have big events to promote your brand right but there was no phones no social media but I was like I don't care it's not about that it's about our community giving back to themselves and sharing with each other and so so everyone was talking because nobody was on their phones and was that just something that you suggested to people and, you know, fingers crossed everyone respects it and, you know, stays off their socials? No, the resort's got only Wi-Fi in one spot. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you you can kind of climb up a bit of a hill and go raise your hand and get your phone up and you might get some texts randomly. Yeah. But they, they have an office, like a reception area that you can go and sit and the Wi-Fi works there. So people might go down for half an hour in the morning and then they have phones on the resort where family can ring you and somebody will come and find you. Do you know what I mean? So you can have contact. But I think once people realized that it wasn't, it wasn't happening, you know, everyone was kind of quite happy about it. You know, a few people had to go down and pay their payroll, which was fine. The Wi-Fi is good in the reception area. But, you know, they I think they actually really enjoyed the break. Mm. I did a little bit of posting and um, um, Mel was there, who's Stevie English's uh, wife. And and she said to me, oh, Stevie's asking, uh, texting me and said, why are you not posting? Because Josie's posting. And I was like, well, it's kind of my job. Right. But you just enjoy yourself. So, yeah, I think that's why there was so much chatting, because there was no no socials like, you know, so many people were in the sauna, in the pool, uh, going to like, um, you know, there were beautiful, uh, like, rocky walks that you could go onto and find like a lagoon. You know, they told us all these places to go. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I always 
love doing work on planes for that reason. And I know that most planes have Wi-Fi enabled now, but like, I feel like I am, it's this time where I'm so productive because I can't be distracted by my phone. I've just got to be in the moment and really focus on what I'm doing. And I think it's really hard to unpack that and create time in your life to be offline because you can be online anywhere. So I think a retreat or a holiday like that has so much value to it, as scary as it is for a lot of people. Yeah, we did a um, a questionnaire on the last night for feedback. And if it was interesting because some people said they wanted a bit of business, some people said no business. And then, but there was a hundred percent that people wanted to come back. hundred percent. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was really good. Do you have any of your own rituals that kind of set you up like daily, weekly, monthly that you've kind of taken from your expertise or your knowledge and experience from that health wellness genre? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely think there's a correlation between how you start your day and how your day goes on for you. A hundred percent. And I know for me that um, movement every day, some sort of exercise is super important and I do it first thing. So I'm very into Pilates. Um, I also like walking, but those are kind of my main two things. And I, so for example, this morning I went to a Pilates class and then I came home and I have a, um, um, I drink celery juice every morning and celery juice um, is really good for you, uh, particularly on an empty stomach. And it's very good for fluid retention, um, but it's it's also very good for your digestion. Um, and so I've been doing that for a long time. Um, and I love that. Uh, if I just put a caveat, if anyone does start celery juicing, I highly recommend it, but just stay near the bathroom for the first couple of days. Okay. Do you yeah. get that from um, like a local, do you make it yourself or is it, because I know that they have it at Paris Farm. And I know yeah, it's the green juice, which is more like the kale mix one. No, you've got to get, you've got to go just celery and, and, the thing with celery juice is it really only has the best benefits for half an hour. So if you buy it, you can get it for, for example, from Cali Press in Sydney. You need to, there's, there needs to be no air in it. It's very tiny. If there's no air in it, it lasts for longer. But I use a slow juicer. It's by Kuvings, K-U-V-I-N-G-S. It's a slow juicer because there's actually a lot. If you look up on Instagram, the medical medium, he was the one who really um, championed celery juicing and its health benefits. It, you know, if you've got any kind of digestive issues, um, gas, bloating, like problems digesting, celery juice helps you produce the acid that you need to do that. Plus, it makes your skin look amazing. It's like super hydrating. It's it's high in salt, which is really good for you. Um yeah, so it's so I do um or I exercise every morning, I do celery juicing, and then I'm very into mental health and my therapist uh who is amazing, like that's the one hour of my week that I never move. I believe that you know there's always something to learn and therapy doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. It just means that I'm I'm getting somebody to help me navigate my life. And she calls she calls the morning routine the pegs of the tent. 
So if you've got the pegs of the tent in the ground and what happens if one of the pegs in the tent is out and the wind blows, it flaps. So I, she calls these, and there are probably about 50 different things that you can do that kind of, in terms of psychology, help ground you. So your feet and they're in the ground. And the, and I've just, uh, you know, worked out the ones that are best for me. So I do three things. I, I meditate for 15 minutes. Um, and I actually just follow a meditation on YouTube. You know, I've done it many different ways. But I find for me, I just picked a piece of music that I like. And now when it, when I put it on, my brain knows that I'm going to meditate. So I am I do that. And then I do tapping, which is one of the things that we learned at the retreat. So EFT tapping is clinically proven to, to release blocked emotions and anxiety. And the taps, the points that you tap on are actually very similar to acupuncture points. And again, you can Google um it on YouTube and there's lots of videos to show you where the points are. So I literally do three rounds of tapping, which takes about two minutes. And honestly, I can feel this tingling in my body after I do it, which is that blocked emotion moving. And then I do breathing. So um, with the breathing, I breathe in through my nose for six, uh, slowly for six, hold it for 10. So hold my breath. And then breathe, pardon? Wow, because so I do it differently. Okay, so this is really interesting to me. Yeah, so I breathe in for six, hold it for 10, then breathe out as slowly as I can. That's what I mean when I say that there are lots of different ways that you can choose and you need to find the right one for you. So for me, when I first started the out breath of that thing, I could only breathe out for like 15 and now I can breathe out for like 40 and what it's doing is it's slowing your heart rate down. And and what all that is doing, apart from being putting the tent, the pegs of the tent in the ground so that the, when the wind blows, you don't get blown. It's also. Um, oh, my God, what is it doing? <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Um uh, It'll come back to me. But, yeah, that's my morning routine. And then. That starts me off for the day. And I know it seems like a, a big investment. It's probably in about an hour and a half into myself. But I think it's it's the difference between having a great day for me and not. And with the walking, I only walk without earpods. I, I love listening to podcasts. I'm a big uh, audible listener. But if I have that hour with nothing and trees... Oh yeah, this is just come back to me what it does. It it's it brings you back into your body. So the pegs of the tent, the walking, looking at the trees, because we spend so much time in our mind. So things spinning around in our mind, what do we need to do next? What problems do we need to solve? But if you can clear that and come back into your body, one, you'll get the answers about what you need to do, and then you'll be able to proceed with the day in a calm way. And Two, you'll just feel less anxious. We get anxious when we're in the head. So those techniques and the exercise or the walking is all about staying in your body. And my therapist will go to me, what's going on now? Stay in your body, you know, stay in your body. Like when I get too like in my head. 
So yeah, those, I definitely think it's about the morning and then it is also sleep. It, you know, in particularly the last five years, I've definitely slept more. I go to bed quite early. Do you? Is Are you able to fall asleep early? Can you turn the mind off? You've learned Yeah, that. yeah, I can now. Yeah, I go to bed about 9.30. Um, and I, I sort of, I stop looking at my phone from about 8.30. Yeah. I know that's not exactly radically early, but for me, that hour is kind of enough. Yeah. And then, so I think sleep, you know, and think about what you put in your mouth as well. Notice what happens to your mood when you have sugar. You know, yeah. I've done it. And I was talking to one of my um, podcast guests was Clive Allwright. And I was talking to him off off air yesterday. And I said, I did a bit of an experiment, like a wellness experiment. And essentially it was to probably lose a bit of weight and make sure that I was going into my 40th year, you know, in the best condition possible. So from January onwards, I cut out alcohol, wheat and sugar. And I replaced a lot of what I was, you know, having of a morning. So with a green juice and the change that I saw in myself, I would never have believed it if I hadn't have done it. Like if someone said like, it it will completely change your life. I'd be like, yeah, no, it it won't change my life. It might change someone else's but it really did. So, you know, getting rid of the wheat, and I'm not saying that that's for everyone, but for me, it was incredibly impactful, the sugar and the alcohol, um, and then noticing how my body would start to crave the green juice every morning and the hydration. So everything that you've said makes complete sense to me. And I think perhaps if I hadn't have been down that path myself for the last six months, I wouldn't be able to wrap my head around it. But it is really, really life changing. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I don't really eat sugar either. Um, you know, occasionally if I'm out at a restaurant, I might have a little bit of a dessert, but I definitely don't eat sugar in my day to day life. I don't really eat gluten either. Um, I just, I just look at how does it feel when I eat it? How do I feel after? And it's, it's that. Um, and I agree with you, like sometimes when I'm drinking the celery juice, you know what? It doesn't taste that nice, but (laughs) I feel so good afterwards and I'm so happy that I did it. Um, and I've kind of got used to it now. Um, and yeah, it's just, it just, it's about finding what works for you. And I think sometimes, you know, people don't understand that the small steps ladder up. So you just you don't need to suddenly become me or you and go on a radical detox, but make some, some few small changes. You know, there's it. We I I call it with my kids. It's just like a healthy swap. Hmm. You know, so it might be changing um, bread for gluten free bread. You know what I mean? Like it's just you're still going to have bread. Um, and then you know, there's so many sugar free um alternatives now you just have to be really careful of the alcohol sugar ones because they can give you terrible digestive issues but there's a lot of stevia um sweetened which are the ones that I go for um and you know what you could get used to 85% dark chocolate if you try I like it now (laughs) my children still say it's like wood but um uh at the office they keep a little drawer of it for me (laughs) the 85 
What's been interesting going off the um, the gluten and the sugar is I find that if I have just a little bit, like you were saying about having a dessert at a restaurant, that kind of throws me off completely. Like I can feel the addiction of the sugar. Like I don't realize that I'm craving it, but I'm like, oh, I just had a little bit yesterday and it was fine. So then I'll have a bit more. And before you know it, it's back in my system. And I know it's back in my system at the moment because I dreamt about sugary food last night. It was my body saying, okay, right, time to stop. Yeah, right. It's because it's a dopamine high, right? It's the same It's the same sort of rush as when you buy something, right? Do you get that initial like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. And then maybe when it arrives, you don't even know if you really wanted it or needed it or whatever. So it's it's that same thing. So it's about training your brain to get the dopamine rush from something else. So I have trained my brain to get the rush from the 85 and, um, you know, and then also give myself enough of a break to go, yeah, I'm going to have a day where I eat, you know, some things I wouldn't normally eat and then go back. Um, I think it's, it's the journey really is about getting to know yourself better right? So what works for you? What doesn't work for you? What feels good? What feels not so good? And it's all kind of good data Mm. to go, okay, you know, and even within personal relationships, you know, like what, what is, what does feel good for you? Um, You know, I remember actually when I was once in a quandary about something that I, um, somebody didn't wanted me to do that I really didn't want to do that made me feel uncomfortable and I said to my therapist you know what do you think I should do this thing it's just not really something that I'm comfortable doing and um, she said to me okay imagine Josie imagine your life is a movie and all the people that you care most about are in the front row of the movie theater would you do it And I said, no, she goes, you got your answer. So, and she said, and when you do do something that doesn't resonate with you, it's actually going against your soul. You're, you're hurting yourself. So now I don't do things that other people want me to do if I don't think it's right for me. And I think that that journey of knowing yourself, whether it's something that you're eating or, you know, like I just, yeah. I think over the years, I mean, I'm 48 now. I can't believe that I'm nearly going to be 50. But, you know, I just got to know myself over the years and got better boundaries about, you know, what I want to do and what I what I don't want to do. And I, I, I wish that for everyone. I wish hairdressers to be able to say no with love because you can say no with love. Do you know what I mean? You don't need to be unkind about it, but you can still say no. What do you think your biggest lessons in business have been? And like, do do they like, is that triggering a memory of of something perhaps? Like one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about, you know, I feel like we've had this period in time where our industry has shifted. So I'm always interested in what is the perspective of each business owner that I talk to about what their lessons have been in business? Yeah, so I think my kind of business philosophy is just to fail as much as you can. Just fail as much as you can because that's how you learn. And um, 
don't berate yourself. You've got to be your own best friend. So I decided about 10 years ago when I got divorced, I was like, right, I'm going to be my own best friend. And I even went through a period where I dated myself as well. Josie, where would you like to go? Like, what flowers would you like? Okay, um, I'm a bit of a magpie. I like jewelry. Josie, would you like a bracelet? Sure. What would you like, Josie? And I think that whenever I fail, I never berate myself. I go, okay, I wouldn't do that again. Definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. But I always go, well done, Josie, well done, Josie, because I know that I tried really hard. So I think fail and see the failures as a as an opportunity for growth and for learning and pivoting. Um, I mean, that's definitely my my number one. I think knowing your values. So what are the values of your business? What's important to you? So as I said, O&M is clean, kind and original. Those are our values and everything we do ladders back to that. So I think being clear about who you are, it kind of goes down to getting to know yourself personally as well. You kind of need to know your business personally and what are its values. And then I think the biggest, one of the biggest things that I've learned is around people, because as I'm sure it doesn't matter what size your business is, people are always one of the biggest challenges to navigate. People show you who they are early on. Believe them the first time. I think that's my biggest lesson because Oprah actually talks about it. She talks about how she used to have the disease to please. And I think I had that in spades. And I tried so hard with people who showed me early on that they were not my people. We weren't meant to be on the same journey for whatever reason. So I rid myself of the disease to please about five years ago doesn't mean that I'm not generous or giving because I love helping people it's part of who I am but I I don't need to please other people over myself to the point where it's massively draining and I also firmly stick to people show you who they are at the beginning and who they are at the beginning is what ends up breaking you up with them at the end whether it's a business or a personal relationship so yes, yeah, so don't. Those are some your, great quotes you've given us there. <laughs> so your gut will tell you, and what they, what they, how they show up at the beginning is how they're going to go at the end. I would. I, I'm guessing you have pretty high intuition on a lot of things. Then, yeah. So I've done. I do uh, a lot of. I've done a lot of psychological testing, and we also use it within our business. And there is no right or wrong. You need all different types of people in the business, but we look for where are the gaps. But yeah, my highest one is intuition. Yeah. And um, and and I think that's as well, you know, getting to know yourself. So I know that I'm very big picture. I am big picture. I can get out of the in I can go up in the helicopter, look down. I'm very good at problem solving. I'm I'm good at big big picture and executing. And I'm not good at analysis and data. So I have good people around me that can give me the snapshot from the data so that then I can see what goes on in the big picture. Um, Yeah, but I, I mean, you can do, there are psychological tests that you can do online and I highly recommend it to anyone. 
uh, to do with their team. Because again, it's not about right or wrong. It's about knowing. So for example, we did some psychological testing with the leadership team in a group day about a month ago. And what came up that out of um, uh, seven department heads that we have, we're very low on admin administration. And we were laughing so much because, and we're high on talking. So the the coach was like, Josie, you've got a lot of talkers and there's not a lot of admin going on, right? Well, and so now- team, I'd say. Yeah, very, but now we've recruited a couple of people who are very high on admin, not so high on talking. So, but, you know, even for salon owners, you know, it's like, if you, so for example, a colorist who can do a lot of repetitive foil work, who is very detailed, is probably quite left-brained, which is also an accountant, right? An accountant is that. And then you've got the sort of more right-brained creatives who, you know, are maybe amazing with people, high talkers, high relationship, very creative, but you want a balance. Do you know what I mean? Like if everyone is that high right brain, high creative, that that's when there's a lot of explosive behavior in salons because the emotion is very high. So it's not wrong to to need a few people who are more methodical and analytical and process driven who are on the left. And I reckon that most salon owners could identify like who are the people that are more process analytical and then who are the ones that are more creative. Yeah, it's 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 when you get into it, it's very powerful stuff. What I might do is put something in the show notes that perhaps is like a link to a page that you might suggest for someone to go on and actually take that online test because there's huge amount of value there. Yeah, we could, I can, I can send something to you. I think there's two things. One, I would do, there's a lot of values tests online because it, maybe people don't know what the values are of their business. So there's tests online where you can pick the values and then get it down to like three or five. And then, yeah, I'll find, um, one of those psychological tests online where people can go through it. Again, that's just part of knowing yourself better. Yeah. It's just knowing yourself. And uh, and what your strengths are, and then you can play to those strengths within your business. I use those kind of things when I have to go vote. <laughs> I go through and I look at it. Is, this is like a values calculator for like which candidate best suits your values. Yes. And I love it because sometimes you can get really caught up in the preconceived idea of a notion or a party. So, you know, and and I was listening to a podcast the other day which said something super interesting, which I really liked, which was. There is no such thing as sales, right? People that think they're in sales, there is no such thing. You're you're attracting people with similar values. You're attracting your tribe. And yes, your job is to communicate your values and your message and who you are, but you can't sell to anyone. You can't persuade, like we can't persuade someone whose values aligned with a different color brand to come to O&M. They'll only move if their values align more with O&M, mm. you know, you know, and that's why as a salesperson, you never negotiate around price because the customer will never be happy with the product if they buy it solely on the price. Yeah. You know, they've got a, it's got to be a values match. So yeah, I will definitely find you a few things that we can add as resources. I guess my last question for you is, you know, something I, I've been seeing for the last six months and I've noticed in my business, there's been like a massive change. Like 
economically. But also I think, you know, the industry is in this like brand new landscape where people are switching from less of the traditional salon model to the rented chair model. What kind of changes are you seeing um, from where you sit in your point of view in the industry? And have you got any thoughts on where we're going? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, uh, we are seeing change within Australia. I think globally there's change as well. Um, so the changes that we're seeing exactly as you've said is that we're in an age where people want to be an entrepreneur. I think it was, it was happening even before COVID. Um, but I think that whereas sort of home hairdressing and working on your own used to be seen as hidden and maybe not celebrated, you know, independent stylists are now having a certain amount of kudos because they're independent, they're choosing their own thing. You know, social media has meant that you don't necessarily need to work yourself through the ranks of a big salon anymore to become a star. You can kind of come out of nowhere and become a star. You know, there's a lot of independent education that's going on that means that people can upskill without having to rely on the companies. So I think that, you know, that's what we're observing and we're seeing in Australia, you know, our business is still largely, you know, salons with multiple employees rather than individuals. But what we're seeing is within those salons that salon owners are having to pivot about, you know, how they employ people. They're having to give more flexibility. I mean, we've got salon owners that are closing every Saturday now. Um, you know, they're offering multiple ways to be employed, you know, uh, commission-based, rent-a-chair or employee. You know, I think that particularly salons that have got more employees that are almost having to give more flexibility because they need more staff. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's difficult. And in Australia, there's a lot of uh, benefits that small businesses have to give that makes it very costly for them to do small, to be, you know, to be even in business. Um you know, compared to com- countries like the UK, the amount of kind of mental health, sick, care, leave, you know, days that we have to give here is like four times as much. So I think we, you know, it is becoming increasingly difficult. And having said that, there are lots of salons that are doing it, but they are the ones that are pivoting, like we're seeing it. They are the ones that are being more flexible. And I think really, if you want, if somebody wants to be an independent stylist, if I was a business owner, it would be about making them responsible for the fact that they are a, a business partner. They're no longer an employee. They can they have to act more responsibly. And I see salons that are doing it well, that almost take their staff through a course about what it means to become a business within the business, what their responsibilities are, how they need to save their tax, how that works. And, you know, you you hear about people saying, you know, that salons are less busy and there's a general downturn. I, I actually disagree with that. I think it's people's hair is still growing. Hair is still like number one priority to most people. I just think the way that consumers are consuming is different and that salons need to pivot. The way they reach their customers is different. They need to they need to pivot. And um, and I think that everyone is. I think that people are pivoting, but we're all doing it by trial and error. So it's that fail. So just because you try something that doesn't didn't work, just adjust and move on and and pivot. Um, and I think that that get, then comes down to having a positive mindset. Get, you know, get over yourself and don't spiral when it when it goes wrong. Just go, well done, well done, Haley, well done, Josie, you're fantastic, and move on. We're fabulous. Lots of fabulous people will come and work with us. That's it. 
Yeah. You've given us so many incredible takeaways. So I've taken like two pages worth of notes during our like of oh. all of the great things that you've said. So I hope that I can do them justice in the show notes. And thank you so much for giving us so much of your time to be able to come on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thanks, Haley. Thanks.